Good morning. Welcome to Faith Discovery Church. My name is Joy, and I am Jason's wife. Um, We're so glad that you're here this morning. And if we haven't met, meet me after service. I'd love to meet you. We are going to open today's service with Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet, their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for its refreshing and balm to our souls, Lord. I pray this morning that you would be magnified and glorified in this service. And we praise your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand as we recite the creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you. 
Whether it's Jehovah Nisi who fights the battle, Jehovah Jireh that provides for your needs, Jehovah Father that heals your body, Jehovah Shalom that is your peace. Find a place and focus in on that name. Here we go. Jehovah Nisi fights your battles. Jehovah Jireh means your needs. Jehovah Rapha heal your body.
invited to the altar to meet the elders. to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Let us pray together. Almighty and most merciful Father, how wonderful you are. You have made all things, and you continually hold them together. When we consider the universe and all that it contains, we are reminded that you are infinitely greater than that. It is almost inconceivable that with this infinite universe in your care, you are still mindful of the salvation of every human being whom you have created in your image. Oh, how we praise you this morning and thank you for your fatherly love. Lord, we readily admit that we have often departed from your desire for us, sometimes by just not paying attention, and other times by willfully choosing our own desires above yours. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, for we are weak and easily persuaded by voices that are not yours. And so fill us anew with your spirit and plant in us 
the desire to serve you above all else. Once again, we seek your pardon, knowing that we hardly deserve it. But we approach your throne with confidence because Jesus has already ascended to you and he sits at your right hand ever interceding for us. And so, Lord, cleanse us from all sin and set us aside as holy vessels ready to do your will. For those joining us online this morning, we ask that you hear their requests as they join with us in prayer. For those who are ill this morning, we ask you to reach down and heal them. For those who may be held in bondage to some substance or some habit, we ask you to break those bonds and set them free. For those who are confused this morning, we ask you to bring clarity by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, this morning we especially ask for your protection for the missionaries and their families, regardless of denomination, who have chosen to remain in the Ukraine in order to minister to the needs of the people in the midst of this cruel invasion which has continued past the two-year mark. Provide for their needs and keep them safe in Jesus' name. And please, Lord, intervene in this situation and bring your peace. Bless now the remainder of this service. We especially ask for your anointing on our pastor as he brings your word to us this morning. As seen seeds sown in good ground, may it bring 30, 60, or a hundredfold increase as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. And as we once again approach your table to receive your mercy and grace, allow us to present ourselves back to you, Lord, as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable worship. All of these things we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Greet someone this morning. Tell them you're glad they've come to worship with us.
14 years. When I was in my early 20s, left Chicago, went to California. Whenever you go somewhere, you take yourself with So I was an addict in San Diego, just like I was in Chicago. which was the Franklin Theater, which was a porno theater that was closed for a long time. Most people could never understand um, what these kids go through here, what they see. They say things like, my, oh, my, my brother got shot this morning like they had French toast for breakfast. jump out of vans. I see someone getting into a fight, about to maybe turn to guns. I don't think about these things. I just feel like if I can save somebody's life, I'm going to try. We reach still an unreached people group, but they're not unreached for lack of churches. There's churches everywhere. But they're unreached for lack of desire. Well, good morning. We wanted to draw your focus a little bit towards missions this morning and remind you that there are missionaries not only around the world supported by the Assemblies of God, but also missionaries right here in the United States in inner cities and places that maybe we've never seen or don't even know exist. So as Doc prayed this morning for our missionaries or the missionaries that are over in Ukraine, we pray that um, this week you would be especially mindful of the missionaries all over the world, the missionaries doing work here in the U.S. And just here from our church, we support dozens and dozens of missionaries that are all over the world. Um, and we're so grateful for um, your support in that effort that 
they can't go unless we send them and support them. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. And we pray that especially this week you might um, focus on a missionary. Maybe that's on our wall back there, a missionary that you know, um, and pray for them. And think about the ways that we can support them here and that you can support them as well. Um, So coming up this month, we have lots and lots of things. It is the month of Easter. We are continuing in Lent. And just as a reminder, there are monthly calendars out on the um, welcome table. So they're great things to take. They're like on paper, like the old days. You can take it with a magnet and put it on your refrigerator um, so that you know what's going on this week so that you can be part of what's happening. Um, And also, if you have our church app, you can also get the calendar on the church app and our website has all of our information and dates. So as we go through this month, we pray that you would maybe come to a new thing, maybe invite somebody that you haven't before to a new thing and be part of what's going on here. As we think about that, Easter is the end of the month. So um, we are planning for a um, Good Friday service as well as an Easter morning service. On Thursday, on Monday, Monday, Thursday, there will be um, a time for you to pray here in the sanctuary. If you are around during the day, I think we're going to have the doors open until about 4 or so. If you're around, um, you can come in. Pastor Jason will have music playing. It can be a time for prayer and reflection. But we hope that you will be part of our Easter week services as we finish up our time of Lent and celebrate that together. It is a wonderful time to bring your family with you, bring somebody new with you to church Um, And so we can celebrate together. So those are our announcements for today. We're so thankful that you are here. Thank you for your support of this place. Um, Thank you as we take the message of the good news, not only here. We don't just keep it here. We want to take it here and spread it to our community. So thank you for being part of that. So as we continue in worship, why don't we stand together?
you so much for how much you love us. I pray that our desire would be to worship you in all of the areas of our life. Be honored by what we say and do today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Have fun. Enjoy. It's going to be great. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I do. I do. I do know who you're talking about today. Ah, they're going to fix that while I'm welcoming you. Good morning. My name is Jason. If we haven't met, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you at Faith Discovery Church this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. And uh, if you're new with us, uh, I want to spend, uh, extend a special welcome and say thank you for being here. We would love to meet you. Uh, come to our, uh, the welcome, or the information center is in the lobby in the cafe after church. We've got a free gift for you. We'd love to get a chance to meet you here, your story, find out how you heard about our church and find out how we can make your experience here as great as it possibly can be. As Laura said, it is, it is Lent. We're in the middle of Lent. And so Easter is coming and Easter is the second most attended church day in the, in America. Christmas Eve, and then Easter, and they go back and forth as to which is most attended. And so people have already planned that four weeks from today, on March 31st, they're going to go to church. But they haven't figured out, a lot of people haven't figured out where they're going to go to church yet. And that's where they need your help. And so that's why we talk about being very, uh, invite somebody to church on Easter. Most of the time when you invite somebody to church, they might say yes. You're not responsible for their response. But if you don't invite them, they're definitely not going to say yes. But if you invite them, they might say yes. But at Easter or at Easter time, there is a much higher uh, likelihood that they'll come to church with you. So it's a great opportunity for you to share what's going on in your life, what you find valuable and important. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. Uh, during this Lenten season, we have been going through a series uh, r- based on letters that are written to seven churches that were in Asia Minor. Uh, we read these letters in the book of Revelation, and in chapters 2 and 3. And so We've been talking through these these cities' experiences. Now, these cities are in modern-day Turkey. Uh, Last summer, uh, uh, June and July, I was fortunate enough to be able to attend uh, or to go on a trip to these cities to take a tour of these mostly archaeological digs and see what the remnants are of them. Modern-day Turkey, a Muslim nation, is the in in the Bible's history, more hist- biblical history took place in Turkey than in any other place except Israel proper. And so there, you wouldn't think of Turkey and Bible, but there's tons of biblical history as you go to Turkey. So it's an awesome place to go. And our tour was Turkey and Greece. And I was really looking forward to, to going to Greece. I've heard about it my whole life. And the food and the scenery and the food... And the history and the food of, Tur- of Greece was really exciting for me to go experience. But the food in Turkey, it's really good. 
I'd go back to Turkey like three times before I went back to Greece. And Greece was good, but the food in Turkey. The other experiences too, but the food was really good. You could tell what really motivates me. Um, and so we've been talking uh, through these letters. And I've been calling this series kind of lessons from the cities or lessons from the letters. And it, it's a look at those, at six of the seven cities written to in the third, uh, second and third chapters of Revelation. Uh, two weeks ago, we started our journey uh, in Philadelphia, and we found that God empowers the powerless. Last week, we saw that God emboldens the fearful, and we studied Smyrna. And so today, we turn our attention to Pergamum. And for the first time in our study, we, we find Jesus bring critical comments uh, to a church in his address to them. And so... Uh, it's the first time where Jesus says, there's things about you that I don't approve. And as we go through the, next, the rest of these series, we will find this in increasing uh, amounts. Uh, but I wanted to read for you one of the books that I'm using for my, uh, for, in preparation for the study. is a commentary by Scott McKnight. Scott is a biblical scholar, and he's also the primary professor of my seminary experience. And he's, le- he's led several of these tours to Greece and to Turkey. And rather than kind of uh, sum up what he says or put it in different words, I thought I'd just read what he writes about these tours as he experiences going to these cities. Uh, He says, it's hard for me to visit the various sites of churches in Western Asia Minor and not have uh, this thought go through my head. Not only is is the presence of a church barely noticeable in this Muslim country, but the sites of these cities are mostly ruins. One cannot stand in the ancient sites of Pergamum or Ephesus or Sardis or Laodicea which are indeed wonderful sites to visit, and not think about what was and what is no more. The warnings Jesus gives to these cities have at times haunted me when leading students around these sites. One can give a variety of explanations for why these churches no longer exist, like earthquakes or other areas of burgeoning population. But they... And and so you can get a sense of being able to explain it, but I will never fail to experience the haunting warnings of these letters. That if they're not heeded, Jesus will remove their light and their lampstand. And so as we talk about these cities, it's, 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 I'm a history buff, it's fun to talk about the history of these experiences. But what's really important is the takeaways that we can have from them, the lessons we must learn from, the, from history so that we can be the shining example of what Jesus calls us to be in this world. Um, in, in, so let's talk about Pergamum. In the Roman world, Pergamum was the Roman capital of Asia. It's an incredible place to visit today. It sits atop a hill overlooking a valley that is full of 
of active communities and very populated, but the city itself no longer exists. It's just an archaeological site. It has, uh, it has a large, and I've got some pictures, it has a large acropolis with columns that still stand and uh, wide open spaces, and you can sit there and talk and meet and be blown away by the archaeology and by the architecture of the uh, area. It's, um, it has a large amphitheater which had a capacity of 10,000. And so when you get to Pergamum, you take this uh, almost like a ski tram up the mountain and drops you off. Uh, obviously, there's no skiing happening with, with no snow. Um, but you, you drops you off the top of the mountain, and then you're overlooking this valley. And on one of the sides of the mountain in the cliff is carved this uh, amphitheater. And the first thing our guide says as we're approaching Pergamum, he says, do not climb to the bottom of the amphitheater. It's some of the most steepest terrain in all of antiquity. It's not well kept. It's no longer in use. It's just an archaeological site, and it's dangerous to walk down, and it's worse to walk back up. And so we get to Pergamum, and the first thing almost everyone does in our group is walk to the bottom. Now, I'm not the slightest of stature. And so I have an awareness that walking up is harder when you carry the extra luggage that I carry. That's the way we're, I'm going to explain it this morning. And so I have several friends go to the bottom, uh, and I'm standing right up at that large pillar right on the right-hand side of the screen. And uh, they start talking, not particularly loud, and I can hear them. And we have a conversation in this 10,000-seat amphitheater because the the construction of it is brilliant. They didn't have microphones. They didn't need microphones like I need a microphone. Those of you know how loud I am naturally will laugh at that joke. So eventually I'm, I'm like, I have, so although I have a fear of heights, I also have FOMO, fear of missing out. So I go to the bottom and didn't regret that choice until about two-thirds of the way up, back up the, the hill. Um, but So it has this famous amphitheater that's beautiful. I think we have another picture from the side that you can get a sense of it. Maybe we can go to the next slide. Yeah, that's, that's just a picture of, a, of the, the, the steepness. And then the other thing, that, the other two things that it's well known for, it was the location of the altar to Zeus. Zeus, the Greek god, the god above all Greek gods, had an altar that was built in Pergamum, and it was famous, and people would go and worship Zeus at this altar. It was there uh, until about the middle 1800s. Think about the, about the time that in America we were fighting the Civil War. In, in this area of Turkey, they were in need of infrastructure. And so Germany offered to come in and build roads for them, and in exchange, they would take the altar. And so the altar to Zeus still exists today. It's in a museum in Berlin, Germany. They traded it for roads and bridges. That's a deep regret for the people of Turkey now. But th So you could go experience this altar to Zeus. 
that was famous for Pergamum. The other thing that was famous for Pergamum, it was a healing center. Um, If you've seen the Blue Cross shield that has a staff with a snake around it, that image comes from Pergamum. And the altar or the, 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 uh, what's it called? The sanctuary that was built to the Greek god Asepius. In Pergamum, there was a temple, and in the center of the temple was a, scu- a sculpture of this Greek god, and he, had, he held a staff, and there was a snake going around it. And that, it was so well known. People would travel there because, re- really, this area of Asia Minor, people would go for healing because they thought the warm and cold waters, that natu- the natural springs of both temperatures, would, were very healing. And so people would go to Pergamum to find healing. That's what it was famous for in antiquity. And so um, that's the, just to give you a background, that's the city that Jesus is writing to here in Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus says to John, write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from, one, from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. I know that you live in a city where Satan has his throne. That's a reference, most likely, to the throne of Zeus on the altar of Zeus. So again, we find that Jesus has an intimate knowledge of the people he's writing to. Jesus isn't just a God who's a a steadfast person on a, a statue on a throne that's built by man. Jesus wants to have an active, personal relationship with us. And so he knows what's going on in our lives. And when he talks to us, he talks to us in a way we can understand. I digress. Yet you have remained loyal. I know you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refused to deny me when Antipas, my faithful witness, was murdered, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idol idols and by committing sexual sin in a similar way you have some nicolotians among you who follow the same teaching verse 16 repent of your sin or i will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth anyone who has here ears to hear what the spirit uh, must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches let me try that again because i tripped up on there Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some, some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. There's a couple things I want to point, about, point out about this letter. We're not going to get to all of it. There's a lot there. But first I want to talk about the first thing what Jesus does when he's writing this letter to the Christians in Pergamum is he affirms the faithfulness, uh, affirms their faithfulness in the face of persecution. In many ways, Jesus' letter to Pergamum is an Oreo sandwich. Anyone know the Oreo sandwich of giving, of talking to people? You start with something good, the outside cookie. 
Then you get to the cream of what you're talking about, which is the bad stuff. And then you want to end with something good, so you got the cookie on the other end. Jesus starts and says good stuff about them. He ends with good stuff about what they could receive. And in the middle, he's got some issues. And so he starts with this affirmation. He commends them on keeping their faith, even in the face of seeing one of their own, one of their own Antipas murdered. Unfortunately, historical information about Antipas mentioned in the Bible is limited, although if you go to an Italian restaurant, his salad is well known. I am so glad you laughed at that joke. When I told that joke to Joy, she didn't think it was funny at all. He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, and we don't have historical records uh, to provide any detailed information about him. He's primarily known uh, through this passage in Revelation where his, fa- where his faithfulness and his martyrdom are highlighted as exemplary. So Jesus affirms him, and that had to mean a lot to, people, to, the, to them. When... Someone important to you affirms the good work that you're doing. That's, it feels great to be recognized. And so Jesus recognizes their faithfulness in the face of difficult situations. When you go through difficult situations, we do not serve a God who is unaware. He's provided us his Holy Spirit to come and be beside us, to comfort us and guide us and walk through life, the good times and the bad. Um, And so it's good to feel affirmed by God. It's good to feel affirmed by Jesus. And they experienced that in the letter. And And I want to take a minute to discuss some comments in the letter regarding Satan. If you're new with us, um... You wouldn't have no context of knowing this, but I particularly personally, I don't like to reference or talk about Satan very much. I would just assume focus on where we want to go rather where we want to avoid. I want, I prefer to preach Jesus. I desire to preach Jesus and his message. However, Jesus himself references Satan here, so I will couple of things. Jesus talks about that this is the city where Satan lives. So there's multiple things there. First, Satan exists. If you've ever seen the movie, oh, it just went out of my head. We'll skip it. The greatest trick Satan ever pulled was teaching the world or convincing the world that he didn't exist. The uh, Usual Suspects is what it's from. I'm not condoning it, but it's a good move. The greatest trick Satan pulls on us is getting us to believe Satan's not out after us. Jesus wants us to know that Satan exists. There is an enemy of our soul who does not want us to experience the life that we were created to have. The life that we were intended to have by our creator. Satan exists. And Jesus says he lives at Pergamum. This does not mean that he has a house and a mailing address in Pergamum, and that's where he's... Certainly, Satan is active in Pergamum. But that's not... It's not like we can say, well, thank goodness I don't live there. I don't want to live next to that guy. Satan is certainly active in Pergamum, and we can see the, the, 
the level to which Satan will go to, um, to attack or to fight against the work of the Lord, we see that in the, the martyrdom of Antipas. But what happened in Pergamum is representative of what Satan wants to do in the world, in your world. And so when Jesus writes to, to Pergamum, when the other cities read about what's happening in Pergamum, not, it's not like, we, oh, at least we don't have to experience that. Satan is at work in our world to counteract the work of Jesus. And principally, the work of Jesus was to redeem you and I. And so the, the work of Satan is to counteract our redemption. It's important that we understand that. And so um, Jesus talks about that, and then he moves on to, um, after affirming their faithfulness in the face of uh, persecution, Jesus turns to his complaints against them. He rebukes their theology. Theology is the study of the nature of God and of religious belief. Theology defines what you believe. Your theology is what you believe. And not to get too into the weeds here, but a good way to define how a theology works is to, there's two really seminary words, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy literally means correct belief. It's the, the theories that you believe. Orthopraxy is, the, is, called, is literally correct action. It's, or, or, uh, or correct conduct. It's how you enact what you believe, how you live out the faith that you have. And so Jesus has a problem, actually, with both their, their beliefs and their actions, with both their orthodoxy and their uh, orthopraxy. Jesus uh, talks about the problem of Pergamum's orthodoxy, he says that they have tolerated the teachings like that of Balaam and also the teachings of the Nicolaitans. These terms uh, evoke some references to the Old Testament, at least about the Balaam stuff. The Nicolaitan stuff is, is a little bit more nuanced. But what he's saying refers back to an Old Testament passage in Numbers chapter 25, and here's what it says. When the Israelites were camped at Acadia Grove, Acacia Grove. By the way, Acacia Grove sounds like you'd want to go on vacation there. Some of the men defiled themselves by having relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them, the men, to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. The Lord issued the following command to Moses. Seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight so his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered the Israel's judges, each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in the worshiping of Baal. In Pergamum, believers were participating too much in public religious worship and in eating food sacrificed to idols, which basically was an expression of allegiance to Rome. They were adding to their faith more stuff that was common and popular in their city. In short, 
They were taking what Jesus had taught about Christianity and adding to it as if to say what Jesus teaches and what Jesus has done isn't enough. More stuff has to happen in order for us to be approved by God or approved by the people around us. Jesus is is talking less about a specific behavior that the church was participating in and more addressing the idea that they are being seduced by the world around them. He's concerned that they are changing what they understood to be essential in their faith. Just to the side, we'll get to this more in just a second. One doesn't have to look too far to see this happening in the church in America. That we have taken more stuff than the essentials to say, this is what it means to be a Christian. And so Jesus speaks against that, but he goes beyond simply talking about what they believe. He talks about their orthopraxy or their choices or behaviors. I just said that Jesus is talking less about a specific behavior in that church um, than what they're participating in but that they're being seduced by the world around them. In this case, the seduction is the way other people worship their gods. Temples in those days were outdoors. And you could go around and look, and there were people who were having a good time worshiping their god. Sometimes it was more fun to do what the other gods wanted than what Jesus wanted. Ever experienced that? Ever heard somebody say, Christianity is boring? The fun stuff, you, if you're not a Christian, you get to do the fun stuff. Well, that's a little bit what the people in Pergamum were experiencing. And so uh, they, there seems to have been an integration of non biblical ideas into their belief system, and that was evident in the way they lived their lives. They had begun to accept a level of assimilation of cultural norms into their church. And Jesus is very concerned how this church is representing him in the world. Let me say that again. Jesus' concern here is that he, they are, they're his representation in their community, and they're not representing him very well. History has proven. The history of Christianity has proven that God would rather have no church in an area than one that represents him poorly. And that's why when we read in Revelation his letters to the churches, he talks about putting out their, can, uh, their lampstand eliminating their witness because if they're not going to witness for him they're doing more danger than good so let me let me offer some takeaways as to about this letter first thing it's important to understand is it is imperative that we know what we believe At our church, not at every church, at our church, we say the creed every Sunday, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed has been around since the, uh, around the 300s, if not a little bit before. And in the creed, it details what we believe is essential as Christians. And so we talk about it. Now, can we, 
Can we throw up the creed on the, on the screen? There's some essentials here that we find. First, we believe in a, what's called a triune God or the Trinity. That God the Father, God the Son who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit are our God. It's three in one. We believe that God created all things. He is the uncaused cause. We believe that the, that the following actually happened. The birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, and that our salvation comes through him. We believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yep, there it is. Those are, the, those are essentials that we believe. And so we say the creed every day, every Sunday. It's a, litur- a liturgy or a ritual that we adhere to. Not every church does this. Uh, especially a lot of Assemblies of God churches don't do it. I'm not criticizing any other belief. In fact, we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, Pastor Jerry's been teaching us, walking us through Exodus, and he's been talking about liturgy and ritual, and he has said that ritual or liturgy without engagement, without participation, without a a sense of of doing, if we're just doing it as routine, it can be deadly to us. But ritual or liturgy with worship can actually enhance and invite Jesus' presence into our uh, life, into our experiences, and it it can actually help give life. It can be life-giving and help us walk into the life that we are intended to experience. And so that's why we do the creed each Sunday, as a form of worship, to invite God's presence and to remind ourselves and declare, this is what we believe. Because in, in Pergamum, they had decided they weren't really sure about what they believed. And that was a critique that Jesus had for them. Statistics will tell us that if you ask Christians what they believe, very few are able to give an answer for what they believe. So we do the creed. Because if you're ever asked what you believe, that's an answer you can provide. And it sums up what you believe. And so we do that because it's important that we know what we believe. When we know what we believe, we're less likely to be enticed into things that we don't believe. The second takeaway. We live in the world, but we are not like the world. At the formation of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, God required the Israelite men to be circumcised. I'm uncomfortable. In fact, in the in, in circumcision was considered a mark. It was an identification that one was a person who belonged to God. But the reality is it only happened to men. 
And thankfully, men were clothed. And so, in public, one couldn't be identified by that mark. It was covered up. We can all be thankful that that tradition has continued. But the reality is the way it worked was circumcision was represented. Circumcision or being separated as part of God's people, a mark of God. It was represented in the way they lived their lives in the world. They were to live differently because they were to be the way God was going to bless all the world. The way they ate was different. They ate kosher. The way they worshipped, the way they talked, all of their, what became their culture was different. And it all pointed to them being different or set apart. And that difference was intended to cause curiosity in their world. It wasn't to say, we're better people than you. It was to say, I've experienced a relationship with my Creator. And I want you to see something different about me so that maybe you'll want to experience it too. We are to live differently in the world. We are to live differently. And the way we do that should cause curiosity in our world. Now, let me tell you how I've heard we're supposed to live differently for the majority of my life. By what we're not supposed to do. Christians don't do this, Christians don't do this, Christians don't do this, Christians don't do this. Remember I told you when we went to Pergamum and uh, the guide said, my first bit of instruction is don't do this? You know what we did right away? That. When we're defined by what we don't do, we're drawing attention and encouraging people to walk into those things. But when we have the mark of our creator and we live differently, people should notice. And so it's not, they shouldn't notice by what we don't do. They should notice by what we do. The way we encourage people. The way we serve people. The way we live sacrificially. The way we put others first. The way we forgive those who've hurt us. The way we give to one in need. The way we're kind. The way we are patient when we get somebody behind somebody who's driving too slow. When we live differently, it creates curiosity. That's the mark of our being people of God. We begin to act like him. And so the third takeaway is a commitment to Christ. When we come to faith in Christ, when we make a commitment to Jesus, boy, I'm really screaming. When we make a commitment to Jesus, it's a commitment. Jesus loves and welcomes us freely into his kingdom. But when we come to faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit begins to live in us, we're going to change. Things like motivations, desires, passions, even feelings towards others will change. 
you'll, you'll find yourself continually. Like, this doesn't stop. This isn't just like the first three months of your faith journey. Come to Christ the first three months, you're going to have to change. And if you don't change, you're bad. It's not that at all. And it's not up to me to tell you what the Holy Spirit is telling you. It's up to me to encourage you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so you'll find yourself start, starting to be motivated towards different things. And when you experience that, when you sense that, when you find yourself, I re- the old me would have really tore, that person, tore into that person for that. And now something in t- inside of me is saying to give grace to that person. When you hear that voice, when you start to feel that different motivation, you're to listen to it. That's how we show Jesus in the world. That's how we mark ourselves as people of God's kingdom. By being set apart, by living differently, by being gracious. In times where, you know what? You're not responsible. You, could, you deserve to give that person everything that back to them that they give. And yet something inside of you says, it's okay. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's when we don't add to what we believe. See, what we believe is Jesus came, died for us so that we could experience redemption. He defeated death. He rose again. He ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to be a guide to us so that we could live in this world. We don't have to add to that theology. Now, we may have positions on subjects. And some of us are going to disagree on those things. And that's okay. There's a lot of churches around. Most of those church, the reason for all those different types of churches is because people disagreed. But they're all doing the work of Jesus. We want to support other churches. Because we agree on the foundational main topics. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, and is heaven on our behalf. And it is through him that we experience salvation, not through yourself. There's nothing you could do to justify yourself to God. He's already done all the work. Anytime you start to hear, but you have to do this in order for God to love you, you've added to the, to the point, and you don't got to add to the point. God loves you. But when you experience God's love, it motivates you to be different. It's not out of a sense of legalistic obligation. And it's not out of a salvation requirement. But it's it's really a response. I'm so grateful for what Jesus has offered me that I want to represent him well in this world. I have hope that I didn't have before. I have joy that I didn't have before. I have grace towards other people that I never experienced before. And all of that is making my life better. I'm walking into the life God planned for me when he created me. Scripture says before he knit me together in my mother's womb. 
have a response to that. Excuse me. I want to live in a different way. I want to be open to following those different leadings that I'm experiencing than I used to knew. Last one, and then we're on to communion. When we begin to assimilate political and, uh, and cultural norms into our theology, we're moving away from the teachings of Jesus. When our political beliefs are tied to our Christianity, we've got a problem. When our willingness to assimilate to cultural norms and popular moves are, are tied to our theology, we've got a problem. Does that mean you can't have political beliefs? No. Does not mean that. Does that mean you can't be open to, like, technology? No, doesn't mean that. But there must be something separate between that and what we believe to be essential. Jesus came for everyone. Whether they believe with you and you believe what you believe politically or not. Jesus came for everyone, whether they like the way you dress or you like the way they dress or not. And Jesus offers this free gift of life and entrance into the kingdom for everyone, whether you think they're immoral or not. And it's up to the Holy Spirit to change the way they live, not us. And so we don't say, you can't be a Christian because you believe X. There might be things we disagree on. But you can be a Christian. Jesus loves you and wants you to accept that love back. Pergamum integrated extra stuff and non-biblical stuff into their belief system. And Jesus had a problem with it. Jesus is more than enough on his own. The work he did is finished. It's final and it's absolute. When he died and rose again, our battle against sin ended. There's nothing you can do to win that. But you can come and say, Jesus, I want to be part of your kingdom. Would you pray with me? Jesus, first of all, thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for loving us and for doing all the work, for finishing everything. Help us not to add to what you require. May we be a church that is marked by affirmation and not condemnation from you. Help us to represent you well in our community. And as people, help us to be marked by the way we live in a way that causes curiosity to those around us. In your name we pray. Amen. If you're new with us, we end...
our services on Sunday by sharing communion. It's another way that we invite God's presence into our lives. Jesus, when he was with the disciples, said that this is my body and this is my blood, which is broken and shed for you, and that we should remember him. And so we do that. I'm going to invite the elders to come forward. And um, and Mark and Basil, would you guys come forward too? We have four locations. The easiest way for us to do this is for you to go to the aisle that's closest to you. And what we do is you just stand, come forward, receive the elements from the, uh, the elder, the leader, and return to your seats, and we'll share them together. If you're new with us, you're welcome to participate. You're not required to. And if you aren't able to walk forward, we can get them to you, but we'll share this together. All my words fall short. I've got nothing new. How could I express all my gratitude? I could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must end, and you never do. So I throw up my Cause all that I have is an alleluia, alleluia. And I know it's not much, but I have nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing Scripture teaches us that he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he passed it to his disciples and he told them that this bread was his body that was broken for him and that when they came together for a meal they should remember him and so we're here to remember that act this morning it's the reason we don't need any other belief system it's the reason we don't have to add to it. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we welcome you into our lives, into our world, into our circles. I pray that through you, we would live lives that create curiosity so that other people could experience your life too. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you take the bread? That same passage goes on to say, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
Would you pray one more time with me? Jesus, God, may we represent you well in the world. May your light shine through us and the churches around us and the Christians that we work with. God, I pray especially right now for reconciliation amongst strife, amongst people that we're close to. Be honored by what we say and do. Would you drink with me? Would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Jesus, we sang all the names that you have in Scripture and all the things that you do, you heal, you provide, you fight for us, and you bring us peace. God, I pray that that would be our experience this week, that we would know that you're with us, that you're fighting for us, that you're providing for us, that you're healing us, and that you bring peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. Thank you so much for being here. All my words fall short. I've got nothing new. How could I express my gratitude? could sing these songs as I often do. Every song I sing and you never do. So I throw up my hands, praise you again and again. Cause all that